Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the year 2072, as our world reels from climate chaos, there is one beacon of hope. Pura. A sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetria Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image. But beneath the facade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice. Loyalty or truth? Preservation or revelation? From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death comes an electrifying new series, The Last City. Starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado and Maury Sterling, prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for an exclusive experience, join Wondery Plus to binge all episodes early and ad-free. The future of Pura awaits. This is Chrysalis. Part 11. I was broken, half-blind, shaken. It was hard to focus. My mind was still experiencing a pain from the unspeakable agony I had been put through. No, that I had put myself through. My body was disfigured, entire sections missing. My previous ceramic outer covering was completely gone exposing the armored layers underneath. Huge gaps open to space, pipes, hangars, conduits and corridors gutted for all to see. My memories from after the detonation were full of gaps. I remembered the pain, of course. I wasn't sure how many enemy ships survived, but I knew they hadn't tried to attack me, to take advantage of my moment of weakness right after the explosion. Perplexing, unless they had their own recouping to do. What I didn't remember was engaging my warp drive, nor the time I'd passed in warp. I guessed I had been moving by instinct, as if in autopilot, maybe even losing consciousness at times. Hard to tell. But I was here. I survived. But I no longer cared about mere survival, or the intangible future I had lost everything I cared about when Earth was destroyed. So, self-immolation was still an option if it could redeem me. But if done in an act of cowardice or resignation, then I was above it. Had that been my plan all along? Had that been the true reason why I had no backups? Why I had tied myself to a single body? Self-preservation? No, there had to be something else. The idea of boundaries, to remaining human, and part of that, I knew, was about death, 
of being subjected to it, of having an end. The more I thought about it, the more I realized it was an artificial limitation I was imposing on myself, out of fear. I knew it wasn't in my nature to die, not in my new nature at any rate. And yet I had set boundaries, boundaries that I had created to keep me human, but that also prevented me from doing what I needed to do, that forced me to pull my punches in a war that required me to go the extra mile. I knew what I had to do. I didn't like it, but I couldn't delay anymore. This, this had been a wake-up call. I immediately focused my attention on my machines. My factories had maintained their production while I was in warp. They had kept making new drones and crafts. I had been in a haze when warping to the safety of my own stellar systems, and in my delirium some part of me chose to return to this particular refuge, back to the massive orbital habitat I was building in Tau Ceti's main asteroid belt. Tau Ceti. I liked this home. The multitude of smaller planetary bodies so common around other stars had failed to form here. Instead, Tau Ceti was surrounded by a thick, dense asteroid belt, rich in valuable minerals. With no massive gravity wells to contend with, resource extraction was effortless. What had started as a small mining outpost, just like the ones I established in my other systems, had gradually become the second largest structure I'd ever built after my own body. It contained power plants, hangars large enough to house two support ships side by side, safe areas for new drone design tests, and a horde of maintenance machines, builders and resource extractors. I knew it would still take me several days to fully recoup my losses in the last battle, but this was a good start. I had around 400,000 drones and soldiers already, and seven support ships. Not enough to fight off a council fleet as strong as the last one, but I doubted the council would be able to mount a defense of that magnitude again. Not any time soon, at any rate. And for the same reasons, I also didn't expect them to start an offensive of their own. This meant that I could catch my breath and focus on rehabilitation. My first action was to build stationary databanks in my outposts. I placed some in Tau Ceti's orbital habitat, others in the numerous mining stations and outposts I had across my Dominion's planets and moons. I saved a backup of my mind in each one of them, a tactic I always avoided. The decision to take this step had been tumultuous. I had expected to feel something at crossing that self-imposed boundary, at breaking the first of my rules, but my trepidation only led to a sense of stillness a familiar detachment to which I was becoming all too accustomed. Even the annoyance I had once felt at not being able to summon an emotion other than calm indifference was fading. With my immortality now guaranteed, I ordered the construction of new processing units in each of my seven support ships and the one still on the assembly line. Powerful computer farms, each capable of holding an artificial mind similar to my own. Meanwhile, I replaced the blueprint of my new assault soldiers. I scrapped the humanoids and returned to my original design, the dog spiders. They were simply better, and I had let my sentimentality compromise efficiency. 
I let the romance of a human soldier outweigh the practicality of these canine arachnids. Easier to manufacture, faster, more agile, and abandoned only due to a misguided sense of nostalgia. No longer. I ordered the construction of two million of them. After never dipping a toe into the pool of inhumanity, I had now fully submerged myself. A growing noise from within. A mechanical maw devouring me. Stealing my soul. Leaving an empty husk. I was now strange. Changed. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In the year 2072, as our world reels from climate chaos, there is one beacon of hope. Pura. A sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetria Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image. But beneath the facade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice. Loyalty or truth? Preservation or revelation? From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death comes an electrifying new series, The Last City, starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado and Maury Sterling, prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for an exclusive experience, join Wondery Plus to binge all episodes early and ad-free. The future of Pura awaits. I focused on my drone swarm. Their functionality was limited, capable only of following simple commands and requiring constant oversight. Without me to coordinate them, the swarm was useless. Giving them autonomous minds would render any future jamming attempts futile. I wasn't about to give a mind to each and every drone. Just like with shield projectors, that was prohibitively expensive. But having a few thousand smart drones in the swarm, each in charge of a squadron of subordinate ones, would be sufficient. My decision was to design a new type of drone, a sentient drone, with a mind of its own. Since they wouldn't have that many craft under their control, their processing units wouldn't need to be as complex or powerful, just advanced enough so as to simulate a human-level intelligence. In essence, I was turning my swarm into more of a traditional army. I would be the general, the support ships would be my lieutenants, and the sentient drones, the sergeants. I wasn't feeling an ounce of guilt at breaking all these boundaries. Once the first one broke, all my inhibitions broke along with it. The first decision had been the hardest, making a backup of my mental state. But each new step in this direction was becoming easier and easier. However, I didn't want all my sentient drones and support ships to be clones of my own mind, to have my own memories and personality. 
Each person has biases and blind spots. And I didn't want my entire army to be subject to groupthink, to become so predictable as to have all of the minds fall for the same trick. Homogenized thinking was dangerous. Diversity of minds it would be. Some of my drones would be cautious, others impulsive, some curious, others calculated. That, I reasoned, would make my swarm, no, my army, harder to predict and defend against. Creating the drone mind was easy. I had entire databases of unused human brain scans that I had downloaded before I left Earth. They were incomplete, with enormous missing regions. Useless on their own, since there wasn't enough information in any of them to recreate the original personality. But I didn't have to do that. When combined with my own digital brain, I had enough information to simulate a human mind. Not an individual, but a template. Devoid of preloaded memories, but with the general structures and neural circuits that made a mind human. I created a few thousand of these templates. Bare, brand new human minds, lacking any memories of their own, but with enough structural variation that they would evolve into different personalities, different people, theoretically. Then, I started teaching them. It was a virtual nursery. I fed them knowledge. I taught them human languages. They started making unique memories of their own as they grew and matured. I refined the process, discarding templates that manifested problems and using that knowledge to improve the creation of new ones. I also let them socialize with each other. I knew that was important for their development. By the third day of accelerated growth, their personalities were diverging. To my surprise, the minds had created a unique digital language, a mix of English and the direct thought transmission I was using to communicate with them half-spoken, half-telepathic, combining both words and ideas into short electronic blips. I hadn't accounted for this. By the end of the week, I decided the mines were mature enough, and I already had hundreds of drones for these mines at the ready. I chose one of the digital mines as a trial at random, as I transferred it into one of the machines. Initially, the drone simply floated in place, but shortly after, it started moving, engaging its thrusters with cautious, tentative bursts, like a baby learning to walk. One minute later, the drone was flying in wide circles at top speed, skirting the hangar walls while broadcasting messages of amusement. It was suddenly a rambunctious child. I ordered it to stop, and, reluctantly, it slowed and returned to the centre of the room like a disciplined adolescent. I opened the hangar's side door and entered one of my dumb drones into the room, setting it to move around. Then I ordered the smart machine to open fire and destroy it. But instead of following my command, it did something I wasn't expecting. It sent a reply of its own in the pigeon language the mines had hatched in their virtual nursery. Its broken English was discernible. Refusal. Preference, a creation. Interesting. I repeated my order. Refusal. I repeated my order again, this time reminding the artificial mind that I could easily send it back to the nursery and choose another one as its replacement. 
A few seconds passed. Then, the drone opened fire and destroyed the target. Content. The sentient machine turned, facing away from my sensors. I didn't deign to reply. The initial refusal to obey my commands had been worrying, so I decided to repeat the experiment. I entered yet another dumb drone through the same side door, ordering the young mind to shoot it down too. Refusal. I repeated my order, my tone flat and commanding. The sentient drone started moving as if to intercept the target, but then turned 90 degrees on its axis and accelerated hard, dashing through the side door out of the room. I saw it fly at top speed through the maintenance corridors of the orbital habitat, disturbing the worker drones and the resource transport lines. I ordered it to stop and return. This was getting tiresome. Having sentient machines under my command risked them not following my orders. In fact, if I had truly succeeded at modeling them like humans, they were practically guaranteed not to. Humans were too independent, too strong-willed. Chances were they would put their own survival or the survival of their comrades as their top priority. It just wouldn't do. The drone had found one of the openings in the habitat's unfinished outer structure and was now slowly drifting away into space, looking at the surroundings, at the sea of stars and the thousands of rocky boulders floating under us. Wonder. Curiosity was also a dangerous trait. No, this wouldn't do. I needed a way to ensure they would listen to me, to guarantee their loyalty and compliance. I couldn't risk going into battle with anything less. I reached for the drone again, for its mind, for the source code of the computer program underlying its simulated brain. I weighed my options. It would be easy to make the machine feel pain at the idea of defecting, to make the thought so intolerable, so excruciating, that the very concept of disobedience would become simply inconceivable. Instead, I opted for supplementing its source code with an added memory. If its innate desires were to protect itself and its own kind, then I would teach it. I would teach all of them. I would impart to them the history of Earth, of humanity, of the nature of our war. I would transfer every vanquished hope, all lost love, the weight of each life stolen by the Zunvirians, the emotions that drive my vengeance, that fuels my entire being, would become theirs. I would make this vendetta personal for them too. This was a mental shackle, brainwashing with ones and zeros. I applied the changes to my sample mind and ordered the drone to return. It might not have liked the change I had just imposed on its brain. It seemed aware that the new memories were artifice, but it obeyed my command regardless, turning around and racing back towards the habitat. A part of me revolted at what I had just done, inflicting this ancient pain on an unsuspecting being, removing its innocence. But it was getting easier and easier to silence that part of me now. Means to an end. Half a week later, I had an army. Not a swarm this time, but a bona fide army of mature adults. 
I had selected the most analytical minds, the most creative, the most strategic, and given them control over the support ships. I had empowered them to select their own subordinates, the minds they wanted for the sentient drones under their command. When all was said and done, I had split the army into three factions. The largest I kept with my main body at Tau Ceti. The other two I ordered to attack a couple of different Zanvirian systems on their own. They didn't like it. They knew that their impulses for vengeance were artificially installed. I felt their undercurrent of resentment, a reluctance in their obedience. I assumed they would despise me for having manipulated their brains to impose my own will. But as long as they did my bidding, as long as the plan worked, it was a small price to pay for my revenge. Our revenge. It wasn't surprising the machines were reluctant. They were naive as to what true horrors hid in the night sky. I had taught them about Earth and its destruction, of course, about what the Zanvirians had done. But it wasn't the same for them. They hadn't been there. To them, it was still an abstract concept, one that drove them but that they didn't fully comprehend. Someday, once the war was over, I hoped they would fully understand. I hoped they would forgive me. The targets I had chosen for my two autonomous fleets weren't major systems. No inhabited planets, no commerce choke points, or strategic objectives. No, just simple resource-gathering outposts, research facilities, and an infant colony. Nothing that I expected to be heavily defended, especially not after the losses that both the Zunvir Republic and the Council had sustained. The support ships gathered their drones, spooled their warp drives and made the jump. Strange to be the one left behind rather than the one leaving. It would take the fleets a couple of days to reach their respective destinations. As I was considering what to do in the meantime, I received a transmission. The first thing I noticed was the strange way I had received it. One of my drones orbiting the destroyed colony world of Jovit suddenly picked up an incoming message from a Zanvirian satellite, one that I previously thought disabled. Even stranger was its contents. It wasn't another request for dialogue, nor an attempt at peace. No, this was different, much more interesting. In many ways, it was something I had been missing, even if I hadn't been explicitly looking for it. An answer. An explanation regarding the destruction of Earth. Not that it changed anything. Whatever the reason had been, Earth was dead. And my resolve was steadfast. It was the rest of the message that was important. I went through the information contained in it over and over again, learning considering the alternatives, integrating the key codes, locations, and dates into my databanks. It could easily be a trap, I knew, feeding me some truths, then lying with respect to the Council fleet's location or Zunvir's planetary defenses, goading me into a fight I was bound to lose. But it could also be true. And if so... This would give me an opportunity to deliver a huge blow to my enemy. I looked at my own body, still charred, half-destroyed, 
I had considered repairing it before I engaged in another big offensive. But now that I had more processing units, both in different ships and in my outposts, now that I had made backups of my mind, my body seemed expendable. It wasn't a body anymore. Not really. No. It was just another tool. A weapon. One that perhaps I could employ one last time. I announced my plans to the army around me. A couple of the support ships tried to dissuade me, but I silenced their voices and ordered them to get ready while I started spooling my warp drive. I read over the transmission again. The exact coordinates to enter the Zanvirian capital without any resistance from the planetary defense system. It was time to pay Zanvir a visit. That was Chrysalis Part 11, performed by Corey Hawkins, Matthew Wolfe, and Amy Argyle, directed by Alex Kemp. Chrysalis was written by S.H. Serrano and adapted by Stephen Michael and Macklin Malogi. Chrysalis is executive produced by Corey Hawkins, executive produced by Stephen Michael, and associate produced by Sarah Newton at Gunpowder and Sky. This season is produced by Toby Lawless at Wolf at the Doors Studios. In the year 2072, as our world reels from climate chaos, there is one beacon of hope, Pura, a sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetria Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image, but beneath the facade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice, loyalty or truth, preservation or revelation. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death comes an electrifying new series, The Last City, starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado and Maury Sterling, prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for an exclusive experience, join Wondery Plus to binge all episodes early and ad-free. The future of Pura awaits. 